0: All right, um, if you've been here any time at all, you, you know that we do our Sunday, the, the time that's allotted for the sermon, the, I don't even know if we call it that here, but the time that's allotted for now, we do that uh, very, uh, we have many different ways we do that. We do have times where we monologue and we just teach. Uh, we have other times like last week where um, one of us will teach the majority of the time and then we kind of do a kind of a Q&A dialogue. And then we have other times, like we're going to do today, in which um, one, of, one of our philosophies, I guess you will, if you will, is, is to not so much teach you what to believe, but help us as a people learn how to believe. Because here's the deal, this is this isn't popular in a lot of places, but there, there are different things, different doctrines in the Christian world that have been disputed about and over for 2,000, 500 years. And nobody figured them out. And can I tell you something? We're not going to figure them out either. We're not. So we like to create enough margin for us to wrestle with this kind of stuff. And, and we're really okay that if you walk away from here thinking something a little bit different, we're very okay with that. In fact, in our pastoral staff, there are times where, uh, well, number one, there are some doctrines as pastors we haven't even discussed because we think they're they're minors, not majors. Number two, um, there there are things that Austin will teach very different than me, and there are things that I'll teach very different than him, and there are things that, there are ways he views Scripture or certain passages that are different than me and and vice versa, and we are very okay with that. In fact, last year, last week, if you'll remember, those who are here, we talked about how that the early church, um, they didn't have the whole uh, collection of what we call our Bible, right, this little library that we have in our hands, Whether they had bits and pieces of it. And, And most of the communities of faith didn't have all four Gospels. They had a single Gospel. And you could walk into, hypothetically, you could walk into one of those communities of faith and recognize that's a Matthew community or that's a John community or that's a Luke community because they focused on different things or they saw Jesus maybe in a little different light. And I'm thinking if Jesus was very okay with that, then we can be too. And then then here's the other thing. I believe, Austin believes, that the same Holy Spirit that dwells within pastors, when Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you as your helper, he didn't say, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to the elite pastors to tell you everything. He said, I'm sending it to you, my people. The same Holy Spirit that dwells within us is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you. The same scriptures that we study from are the very same scriptures that you should be studying from throughout the week. Now, granted, we get paid part-time to dig in a little deeper. But that's kind of what we use this time for. And so what I want to do today is, instead of coming with any sort of message or lesson plan, is I want us to walk through the text today and study it together. And so I'm going to do like kind of one of those, have you ever watched one of those cooking shows where they say, we're going to cook this, but they've already got some of it already done. And they So I've already got some things prepared that I'll throw out there to help us jump through different phases, but I don't have uh, an end result or an end summary or an end point. That I didn't come prepared for. We're going to figure that out together. Um, But before we do that, I want to summarize a little bit of last week, because here's, this summer we're going through the three books of John or the three epistles of John, and none of them, well, None of John one, none of the chapters, right? Chapters and verses are something we added. None of the chapters and verses are a vacuum unto themselves. They don't. They just. They don't. They don't. They don't exist as an autonomous passage by themselves. Does that make sense? They're all. They're all linked together. So whatever we we discussed today has to a little bit be linked to what we talked about last last week. And I know not everybody was here last week. So let's. If anybody can help me out, can we summarize for anybody here? What does anybody remember? Kind of what the focal point of last week was. So when we ask questions they're, today, they're not going to be rhetorical. They're going to be real questions. And if nobody answers, they're going to be really short. You guys will be out for brunch. Um, last week, anybody? Eternity and eternal life in what way, though? As something that, okay, so, so he's right. So I'm going to put you on the spot, obviously, right? Um, to make you feel more comfortable. Um, so, eternal life, but not as something that is promised to us at one point in time, and then something that we will live later on, but eternal life in the way of something that we get to experience and live in now right and so what we said last week is that that the Gospel of John can kind of be used as a commentary for first and second third John, right because the the church the Church of Ephesus, who uh, th- these letters were written to. Um, they got their view of Jesus based off of the gospel of John. And so what you will see as you read through these books is there is a lot of correlation between the two. A lot of the same language is used without taking the time to explain it because there's this assumption that they already know, if, if that makes sense. Um, so exactly. And so not only did he talk about eternal life, but John or whoever wrote this book is very upfront. He doesn't even take time to give them a greeting. He doesn't. They don't even say who the actual author is. But, um, we, we assume it's John or some of John's disciples just based off the similarities between the two the two books. But right off the bat, the author lets us know that the entire reason I'm even writing this book to you is so that you will have eternal life. Not in the future as some distance far away thing, but something now. Something we live in now. And he he, he is a little bit redundant in the way that he continues to explain it. And he um, one commentary we brought out last week actually says that... Uh, when he goes into to explain eternal life as fellowship between each other and between God, that it's John's way of adding texture and depth to our idea of salvation. Right? Salvation is something we often think about that happened and one day will happen. But when you think of salvation in the term of fellowship, it brings a lot more depth and texture to it. Then we said, because that was the purpose statement, he goes, I'm writing this so that, then he goes into explaining what this fellowship looks like. That this is what the rest of the book is about. And so everything else that we will talk about, that will be written about, either points back to, explains with more depth and texture, um, this idea of fellowship, this idea of unity between God and each other. Um, he, at some points in the book, he's going to warn us about things that, that might get in the way of this fellowship. He's going to be very practical on ways to live deeper into this Fellowship, but this fellowship is not something we just do now so that one day we'll have eternal life. It is part of the eternal life. And we even brought out the distinction the distinction that in our scriptures we just have the word life that is used continually. But when John talks about life, he uses two different words, psyche and zoe. And psyche is basically the life that happens to us now. Okay? It's it's, it's the life that we can kind of see. It's the life uh that, that is tied to our ups and downs, the negatives, the positives. Um, but it's, it's actually the life that, that attempts to consume us. It's almost the illusion of the real life, the Zoe life, that Jesus wants us to live now. And in these passages, especially last week, the word that John is talking about is Zoe. And he's saying that, that the message we have for you is this idea to live this eternal, this Zoe life now. Now. I'm not going to go anymore to last week, so if you want to hear it, to have an in-depth discussion, you can go online to listen to it. Um, so everything we talk about today is going to be a little bit pointed back to that. Now, before we do that, I do want to jump ahead to verse 1 of chapter 2. I think it's, I think it'll be up on the screen. And John says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's that purpose statement again, so that. And this might be a semantic issue, I don't think it is. Um, what it looks like, because last week we said this is the this is the phrase John used uh, to let us know that he's getting ready to make a purpose statement. This is what the book's about. It looks like we have purpose number two. So that, and that purpose is, you may not sin. I don't think that's what John is doing. I don't think he's letting us know, here's the second purpose of the book. I think what he's doing is giving us the negative aspect of the positive purpose last week. If that makes sense. So last week when we went into it. It said I'm writing this to you. So that you have fellowship with us and with God. And I think what John is doing here. He's just taking the negative view on it. And saying so, so in other words I'm also writing to you. So that you do not sin. Sin not being dumbed down to, to the little moralities or niceties. That we like to think of. But sin being the thing that traps us in, that causes us to buy into the illusion that the psyche is all there is and there is no Zoe and that we get caught up in it. And John is saying, I'm writing to you, not not as a separate purpose, because I really don't want you to get locked up into this. Does that make sense? Okay, and so we're going to sandwich verses 5 through 10. So, here are the questions I have for you. I want to ask you uh, before we read through it to listen for Listen for certain patterns. Listen for different ideas that he seems to uh, either interchange or use uh, quite often. Listen for the way, like he did last week, he might interchange the idea between being in communion with God and communion with each other. Okay? Patterns, similarities, things used over and over, ideas, the relationship. ...that we have between God and man. Got it? All right, let's do this. Verse 5. Text will be up here. If you have your Bible in your hand, that will work as well. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... ...we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... ...we have fellowship with one another... And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm going to read through it one more time a little bit slower. Pick up in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All right, what are some patterns? What, is, what, is, what are maybe even metaphors that we see constantly used throughout this text? Light and Light and dark. Alright, let's, st- let's pause there for a little bit. When we study Scripture, w- one thing we don't get to do is we don't get to project what we want it to mean on Scripture. Right? We'd we, we say that about any sort of literature. We've got to let what Scripture means be the meaning. Okay? And one of the first ways we do that is, is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay? So... In this case, we would let John interpret John. I think we could find some similarities in in James or, or Matthew or Luke or whatever. But for starters, let's let let's let John interpret John, because the question we have to ask ourselves as we get into this: What does light mean? And then, obviously, what does what does dark mean? Okay. So let's let's just read through a couple of them real quick. I think they're on the screen. John one four through five. We're going to try to go through these quicker than you can probably look them up in him was life and the life was the light of men and light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it one nine the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world 319 and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil 812 Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1246. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Here's the thing about light. Throughout John specifically and throughout the rest of the gospels, there are some times when you can interpret the idea of light as something like holiness or purity or or what have you. And darkness... Being the other side of the coin, kind of, um, you can interpret as uh, as as sin or un, uh, impurity or, or what have you. But but all of the times that light is used throughout Scripture, even when it has the connotation of purity or what have you, it is always used in the idea of revelation, of making seem, of showing, of revealing. Not necessarily just purity. Does that make sense? And so darkness, the idea of darkness, is, is not so much this polar opposite, right? Usually, often when we think of light and dark in Scripture, we think of kind of like Newton's third law, right? For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Light and darkness throughout Scripture are not on equal playing fields. In life, they're not really either, if you just think of light and darkness. In fact, light has never seen darkness, Right? What what we have instead of two opposing forces, is darkness is just the absence of light, not the fight against light. Right? If, if it's dark in a room, I don't make it lighter by fighting darkness. I just look for the switch. I add light. In other words, anytime the idea of light and darkness are, are being dealt with, The focus is never darkness. You can never deal with darkness by dealing with darkness. You can only deal with darkness by dealing with light. You can only deal with light by dealing with light. If it's light in here, I don't make it dark by adding darkness. I make it dark by taking the light out. Does that make sense? And so I I think that this whole idea... before I say that so if we look at light and darkness in this realm in this idea of not so much opposing forces but rather absence of and light being this idea of revelation what what is is John in the idea of light and darkness what's he talking about it's the absence of knowledge the absence okay absence of something right yeah okay following Jesus brings some sort of revelation it opens us up to some sort of understanding that we didn't have because of darkness Can can I say that okay Anybody else? Enlightenment. So that there is this enlightenment that Jesus brings, this understanding. I think if we, if we, we'll jump to the next one after this. I think if we were to tie this into last week, what we have is this idea of darkness is the idea of seeing the psyche, the immediate life, the here now, as reality. When in truth, it's the illusion. And what Jesus came to do was to enlighten, was to reveal to us that what we oftentimes get so wrapped up in, the psyche, is is not real life at all. But it is the very thing that blocks us from living the real life. And so he he shines a light, he reveals the true Zoe that he came for us, to give us, for us to live in. Alright, light and dark. What else? What else do we see? Truth and lies. Let's go with that. Truth and lie. Any thoughts on that one? What he might be talking about? That's good. Did you real quick? Did you all hear that? There seems to be true, two ideas of truth. One that is this practicing functional thing, and then in verse eight, go ahead. Sorry. The the truth in us. The truth in us is it comes from or was revealed to us from that light that we originally talked about. Yeah, good. Okay, so let's let's go let's go with that and with what he said. Here's what I, another thing I find interesting uh, in this text specifically, is that John seems to be unable to separate the idea of conception and practice, of belief and practice. In our world, truth is, is, is a concept that we believe in, an idea that we believe in. It's usually intangible. Right? And the function of of something that might be true is, is what we might call real or, or reality. And you hear what I'm saying? So we, we kind of we have this idea that we say, I believe in Jesus. My life doesn't look like it. Because we've got this way that we can separate this idea of, of truth and reality. Of, of belief and function. Except in the Greek world, they didn't have, like, like they did have multiple words for life and love... They, they did not have multiple words for truth and reality. A truth that we believed always showed itself in reality. It was the way we function. And John seems to not have to explain this, but it seems just like common sense to him. That if someone says they are something, they have a statement of faith, they have doctrines they believe, they have whatever... You almost don't have to hear them. You can just watch them. Because it will functionally play out. And if it's not playing out, no matter what you say, you're a liar. It's not true. You can say what you want to say. But if it's not playing out, you've lied. And it's it's the idea of, and excuse my language. I know you never thought I'd say that in church, right? But you've heard that in the, in the Old Testament, we have the, we have the Ten Commandments, right? We have the text that says, in the, in the Ten Commandments, not to take God's name in vain. You all heard that, right? Now, I grew up in a realm, and I don't know if you did or not, that we reduced that to meaning, don't say curse words like, God damn it, because that's taking God's name in vain. Except, that's not what the Hebrews meant at all. The idea of taking God's name in vain is literally saying, I believe in God, verbally, but then living completely different. And John is very clear that there's something to this idea of us living in this reality, living in this light, that has very much to do with, or even results in, there being a correspondence with what we say we believe in the way we function. So we've got this idea of light and life, right, of, of, of something being revealed, of, of, I would say, if we're going to link it to last week, the Zoe life, and then we've got this this darkness, us being, for some reason, lost into the psyche, lost into the, the life that is temporary. So we've got this light and life, we've got this lie, uh, truth and lying, that they're not just concepts. But they are living in a deceit or living out a certain sort of truth. Anything else to make God a liar? Anybody, any thoughts on that? With in, in light of using filters for what we just talked about in, in last week a little bit. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to people who might actually verbally say, God is a liar. Would any of us actually say God is a liar? No, probably not. It wouldn't. F- but do we functionally say that a lot? Because our lives, we struggle with right. We struggle with belief, which means we struggle with function. And, and, and when we do that, and if you notice in the text, there's kind of this progression that humanity is moving through. And you end up at the point where it's not just the truth isn't in you. It's, wait a second. Maybe I'm not the liar. Maybe I'm not the wrong one. Maybe God is. Maybe God is the one who has it messed up. Now again, we would never verbally say that. But we do when we say things like, I know God defines love this way, but that's a little too demanding, and I want to live love that way. I know God says this is what community looks like, but that costs a little much. I think it'd be better for me to live community this way. I know this is how God defines justice and mercy, but that means I do a lot of absorbing and forgiving, and I've kind of reached my limit. So I think it would be better for me if I... Right? This is, this is the essence of saying, God, you're a liar. Because... I've decided. In order to do that, you've had to put yourself, we've had to put ourselves in God's seat to claim, I think I know better. I think I know better. Good, good observation. Here's one that that I did come a little bit prepared for because it stood out to me that I thought was pretty interesting. The relationship between our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. It's kind of hidden in there. In verse 6 through 7, he basically says this, and I'm I'm going to summarize. If we claim to have fellowship with God, but live in darkness, we are lying. It would seem that the follow-up line should be, but if we claim to live in fellowship with God, but live in light, then we're telling the truth. Right? We're just two opposites, two equals. But that's not what he says. Rather, it seems that he, he, he says this. Rather, if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with God. But if we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship with each other. Actually, what he says, if we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship with God. But if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. You see what I'm saying? It seems like the natural follow-up should be, then we have fellowship with God. But he doesn't. He Now throws relationship, he throws community in there. We brought this out last week in the idea of salvation. It seems John has no idea how to separate the idea of salvation being a relationship between us and God and each other. That there is this corporate side to it that he can't get away from and it's so closely connected to our relationship with God that he can interchange it with our relationship with God. Jesus somewhere said something about the first great commandment being loving God with everything we have and the second, in other words, an equal to is loving neighbor as yourself. John can't get away from the idea that darkness just can't affect this way or just this way. But if it affects this relationship, it affects this relationship. If this relationship is off-kilter, this relationship is off-kilter. And in a society that is very me-centered, we don't like to think that way. We'll start to wrap this up. So, if we're going to put these ideas, the inability to compartmentalize life, light, life, what, how would you, I've, I've got mine in my head now, but how would you summarize today's text? Okay, so I'm going to springboard off into that because that kind of lines up with where, where I landed. Did you guys hear that? If, if we don't, can you say that again? If we don't have the light, which is Jesus, we're not going to have life, truth, and fellowship. Yeah. I think, I think what John is getting to, especially if we tie it into last week a little bit, is that we are very broken creatures. And I think the reason in just five, 10 verses he can bring out the idea of community so much is because we so easily get absorbed into us. Right? And when we get absorbed into us, we get absorbed into the illusion of the psyche that this is all it is. And we begin to do really bad things. Right when, you, when we, I don't even have to explain it. We know what life looks like when we're absorbed into us. And so, by our nature, by our tendency, we like the illusion. We love it, and we get lost in it. And sometimes we fall into it so far that we can't tell that there is a Zoe life, a real life out there. And this is all that matters. And we begin to live our life like. This is all that matters. And then John, to go with what you say, gives us a solution or a remedy to that. As if to say, you humans, us humans, are so stuck in the illusion that the only way out is the truth that Jesus didn't just come to bring, but brings when it talks about, when it says in the text that uh, his blood cleanses us, it doesn't use the past tense. It cleansed us. Just like we talked about last week, salvation is something that happened. It's not. It's more than that. But his blood is something that continually cleanses us. But we so easily fall asleep in the illusion, in the dream world, and buy it as real. And it takes Jesus His work, what he did, the sending of his spirit to continually wake us up to what is real. To what he wants us to be, to how he wants us to live. And then the other phrase it uses in there as the solution is the word confession. And this is is an idea that continually runs through scripture over and over and over. That the church was called out to be a confessional community. But like the idea of truth and like the idea of lie, confession is not just the idea of saying, yeah, I sinned and then we continue to live the way we live or lived in the illusion. But the idea of confession in community is together to admit where we're missing it, to admit where we buy into the illusion. It's the idea of not just agreeing with what God says is real life, but Actually, trying to live out the real life now together we will continually remind ourselves and submit ourselves to not just what Jesus did but what Jesus is constantly doing and wants to do in our lives and to our confessional community that it's through that some way he awakens us to the real life and continually draws us back to living in the real life that he has to offer us Not sometime in the future, but now. And I think that's what John is saying. Let's pray.